Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead, here with Keith Myers. Keith, talk to me. What's going on? Lots of things are going on. It's been a... Um been a whirlwind of a week for for me both um a lot of seahawks stuff going on to follow um not all of it good and um most then, of it's good most, almost, of it's good. most of it's good but then there's a there's the big story that we'll lead off here with here that you can't call it good no matter which direction it's going it's just weird um and then i've never actually heard the term dog days of spring before we're in the dog days of spring <laughs> It's crazy. Yep, we are because I guess it's officially. Um, yeah, it is. It's 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 that day. Wow, we're. <laughs> I know. Huh. So what else? Um, what else is going on? The other thing that's going on is um, so I haven't talked about it on the show because I haven't wanted. You know, it's one of those things that we haven't put out there. But um, big personal news: my wife and I are um, uh, have been working for about a year and a half to open a veterinary clinic. My wife's a veterinarian. And so um, we finally reached a point where we could announce that to everybody and and tell people that that's what we're doing. And and so if you've been wondering um, why you don't see me on you know, social media much anymore and why I, one of the big reasons why I'm not writing and um, my covering the team has been reduced to just this show, it's because of that, because that has been a massive endeavor that has eaten all of my time. So in addition, you full-time teach and you raise two children. Yes. So, and care for miscellaneous cats and yeah. (laughs) And you happen to be on the show. Yeah. So, so it's been God, a... Just kind of pack mm, all of that in to one it, human being is awesome. It's been kind of a crazy uh, time, but... Um, we're well, let re- me say congratulations. I mean, yeah. that's just crazy great news. I've, I've been kind of privy to this process uh, throughout, but uh, it was kind of, like I said on Twitter, it was it was hard not to announce that news because it is it's good news when somebody's... Uh, endeavoring to start a company from scratch mm-hmm. and to put their identity on something. And, um, you know, I think it's just a great thing. And uh, so congratulations. I know that you guys are working very hard and uh, will continue to do so and it will become a, a very good success. So thank so you there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, a pandemic and the resulting uh, recession that's going to come after it is probably not the greatest time to start a business. But we didn't know any of this was going to happen when we started things 18 months ago. And at this point, you can't stop the process. The mon- a bunch of money's already been spent. So um, we'll see how it goes. It's It's going to happen. Yeah. No, it's I mean, and let's get the word out there. Yeah. If you need some, and if you're in Southwest Washington, where you mm-hmm. guys are, mm-hmm. um, and you need help in that area, you know where to go now. Yeah. So, so Keith, so weird stuff happened this last week. Yes, um, it did. I think right after we recorded. Which is kind of a thing for us, that we, <laughs> we record, and then, like, you, you're doing the post-production, and it's either 
been posted for like yes. an hour or you're about to hit the post button and some weird Seahawk news drops and it's like, well, we could have covered true. that, but you know That's what? True. Everyone's going to have to wait a week. Um, and I, and we just pick a day, you know, and we've switched it up over time to different days of the week that we record and stuff. And um, we, it never seems to line up for us. <laughs> I think doesn't. we've, we've covered a couple of things that, that kind of hit right as we recorded or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it'll equal out at some point. So the Quentin Dunbar news. I mean, everybody knows about it. Um, there's no need to kind of rehash every single detail of this thing. But it was crazy last week when the news dropped. He had come out in the morning of, of this event happening, um, or after it happened in, in real time, mm-hmm. and had a had a presser with, uh, with the, the Seahawks uh, beat reporters and the, and the media. And it, they put it out on... Uh, social media so it was out there um how he was looking forward to it and he wanted to make sure that he you know he did the team right and the uh and uh, all the players and he was really looking forward to being in seattle you know like six seven hours later news dropped of this armed robbery thing like this crazy situation um where he's got four counts of, of armed robbery and uh, initially keith we all thought well that was it i mean it seems so cut and dry. There's two players. There's a bunch of witnesses. Um, they fled the scene. He's not um, in custody, and we're all speculating that that could that could be it. He never played it down for the Seahawks, and he's out of the NFL. Mm-hmm. To at this point, fast forward a few days after that, word started getting out that he was still not in custody, but that there were conflicting reports. That he, um, uh, his attorney was able to get statements from all of the quote unquote victims and a witness that's that recanted all of the previous testimony that that, that was given to the police uh, the night of the incident, and uh, basically said that Quentin Dunmore wasn't involved at all. So and and his attorney is arguing that Dunbar was not even present at the alleged robbery. Yeah, because so that's he was, where we're at. They're saying he um, wasn't wasn't there and was already like in the process of trying to get to Seattle for his uh, press conference and and all of that stuff. So um, it's weird. And uh, one of the things, I mean, you listen to his attorney, and his attorney's going to be doing his job to defend his client. So he's going to not, he may, he's only going to say things that are, that are going to help uh, Dunbar. But one of the things that came out was that, so there were four victims and a witness and the witness said from the very beginning that Dunbar wasn't involved, but the four victims said he was. And now all five people say he wasn't involved. And, but, but the, the, the police in the area are sticking by their warrant and everything because they had the statements from the four victims that said he was involved. And so it's, it, it, it get, now it goes to the, to now the it's attorneys. a legal process. Yeah. Now, now it's now, a legal process. And, and you know, the, mm-hmm. the police want the direct statements from the victims and witnesses to them, not through an attorney. 
before I think the next move is made. It just seems like to me, it seems like a matter of time before this thing is dropped because you can't prosecute a case if you don't have cooperating witnesses Yeah. in this sort of a situation. They there's very little physical evidence. There's just missing things or statements. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but the, the mood in the room, quote unquote, went from, Oh no, our season went from being questionable anyway to a complete loss. And what are we going to do to Quentin Dunbar's back on the team, never really left. And now we can kind of use a pencil anyway, his name into the starting lineup again. Yeah. It's, it's just a weird uh, situation. And his acquisition was the biggest uh, piece of the off season um, at least in free agency before the draft. Um, and so to have that suddenly ripped away and now you, you have to kind of reevaluate um, the off season and go, did they really do anything that made them better because they lost Clowney up front? Um, and if they didn't do anything to make the back end better, uh, are they a better team? And it, it it really came down to that. And so once, you know, when he was off the roster, people were looking at this offseason as maybe this was a failure of an offseason because of uh, the inability to get a playmaker, whether it be Clowney or Dunbar or someone else. Um, and now we're back to going, okay, well, this was a good offseason because they did manage to do that and shore up the roster in a lot of other ways. So um, it's just weird. It's, it's, it shouldn't all be on one uh, place, but yet there it is. Yeah, so here we are. We're back at yet yeah, having a semi-improved uh, offseason. Um, you're right, the clowny thing. Let's get that and uh, and call it really good. Uh, if we don't get clowny, then who knows? But um, here we are. So, so let's put the Dunbar thing kind of to the side um, and talk about his actual press conference. Um, guy's excited to be here. Uh, mm -hmm. he was, he felt like it's a good fit in, uh, in the culture. And he said, uh, the Seahawks defense is who I am. And he modeled his early game after Sherman and Browner. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then he talked about his transition to the NFL from a receiver to a corner. And it was Jay Gruden that actually asked him, um, and uh, he said it was easy because of my will and my mentality and that I like to compete and that's half the battle, all that kind of stuff. So, And he, and he talked about Mark on Manuel, um, knowing him since mm -hmm. he was in middle school, which I thought was really interesting. Um, talked about giving back into the community and volunteering for camps and et cetera, and he learned that from him, learned how to be a kind of a pro, learned that step kick technique that everyone talks about in the Pete Carroll defense. And so he's been working on that for a very long time and pretty much has it down. It's no big deal for him at this point. But he did say, and these are kind of the tidbits that we were looking for when we um, when we thought about this show. And the show is basically looking at all of the team interviews and news conferences from all the, um, the, the free agents or most of the free agents and then uh, all the draft picks so that we can kind of pick out a little bit of this and that to see what the fit is on the team. And he did say that he would start out on the right side uh, corner spot, which is where flowers is at. So that kind of confirmed that. Did you mm -hmm. uh, pick out anything else? Well, to me, the, 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 you already mentioned the, the parts that I thought were most significant was the, 
having worked with Mark One Manual, which who was a safety in Seattle um, for a while in the Holmgren years, but then was an assistant coach in the Pete Carroll years, and one of the teachers, uh, him and Chris Richard were the two guys that uh, would work with the young, uh, the rookies, the you know the new players to the team, um, and and really teach them technique, um, and so. Uh, for him to have worked with Manuel um, already and already knows this, which it makes it a good fit because if you look at the uh, history of you know veteran players that have come over during the Pete Carroll era, it's a litany of failures at cornerback because they've got a way of doing things and they learning this new technique and unlearning everything you've done to be a successful player um, in the league up to that point. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And well, and that's why um, we thought this was such a great fit. A, he's got the size. Mm-hmm. He's six two. He's got thirty two and five eighths inch arms. And here's a guy that's already you know been working with with someone with the Seahawks background. Has that technique pretty much down. He learned it when he did the transition from wide receiver to uh, defensive back. So not even just recently, he's been working with Manuel recently, but he learned this step kick technique uh, with uh, Marquan Manuel. Um, when he first got into the NFL. So this has been something that he's already perfected and just mm-hmm. steps right in. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Now, this legal thing's got to play out, and it will. Um, and maybe not by the time the season rolls around. I don't know. But right now, I don't know that he's necessarily in trouble enough for the league to suspend him or for the Seahawks to release him. Um, so this thing will just kind of keep going on until it's resolved in the background, hopefully, or the case is dismissed and all parties just kind of carry on. Yeah, given um, the fact that people have recanted statements and even if they turn back around and, and re-say, oh, no, that it really did, ha-, just the back and forth nature, there's lack of credibility with the witnesses. It's just going to be, it's just such a weird situation for, I, 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 you just, I can't speculate on how this is going to unfold. I just don't know because it's so uncommon for it to be this this weird and, and all of that. So um, you most, right you now, you just kind of have to leave it. You just kind of just have yeah. to say, okay, that's over there. And we just yeah, have to get Yeah, that's on. what I was going to say is right now, I think we just have to throw our hands up in the air and say, we don't know. Um, and anything that we try and say is speculation beyond what we know. So... Um, I think at this point, let's just, yeah, move on and, yeah. and we'll wait and see. Yeah. But, uh, I enjoyed him. I mean, as a person, when he was on the, on the, the, uh, zoom conference with all of the beat mm-hmm. reporters for the Seahawks, he was, he was awesome. Very cool. seems like he's going to be a good fit, good locker room guy. So let's get him in here and, and see if we can improve that secondary. The, the question, you know, and some of these, uh, interviews do raise questions. And for me, the question would be. What is Trey Flowers' role um, out of all of this? If Quentin Dunbar is, in fact, going to be the right side corner full time, um, who slides into the slot? Who who plays? You know, in the nickel, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then at the at the end of the contract year, you've got Griffin and Dunbar sitting out there. Who who do they pay? Do they pay both of them? You know, that'll be interesting as well. So, yep. 
So uh, the next one up for us was uh, one that just occurred yesterday, which was Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin is back in town. I think the big mm-hmm. takeaway for me, A, is he's still Bruce Irvin. So when you when you listen to him, he's still the same guy. And, Absolutely. And then um, he's happy to be back, obviously. He, he definitely wanted to be here. He said he wanted to be here even at the end of last year as they were the Seahawks were entering into the playoffs. Um. He thinks he's a better player after nine years in the league, obviously, um, as far as knowing what to expect, the game slowing down, uh, how to study film, how to take care of his body, all that kind of stuff. But he also, the the other tidbit that came out of his conference, Keith, which is the biggest thing, would be where is he going to play? And he said that he's going to play Sam linebacker on first and second down and move up to the defensive end position on third down, which is just like he left um, yep. four, four years ago. Yeah, the, um, the two Super Bowl years, uh, that was his role, right? He was the Sam linebacker um, against the run and moved up in the nickel. Uh, and that's the role that, you know, he's... Got, he signed to play again. Like that's what the coaches have told him. That's you know the expectation, um, and that's a good that's a good thing for the Seahawks because they have not had someone who could really hold down that uh, that role since he left. I mean, it was um, it was Calitro there for a bit. It was um, Kendricks for a bit. It's been. Um, you know, Barton there, but Barton's small for that, you know, that spot. He really belongs on the other side uh, of the line. And so just having a guy that you know can play there. Now, Jordan Brooks is also expecting to play that role. Or, or um, so, to play Wright's role. And that's the question. Like, what yeah. what goes on with K.J. Wright? What goes on with Jordan Brooks? What's going on mm-hmm. with Cody Barton, who, you know, seems like he's earned at least the potential to earn more playing time this year. Um, oh, yeah, he looked good last year. Yeah, he and looked- so you've got, you know, and Wagner's not going anywhere in the middle. So you've got mm-hmm. four guys plus Irvin now that could potentially start for you or play significant roles, um, and you've only got three spots. So what are you going to do? Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. And then the other thing is, you know, we keep talking about, you know, the KJ Wright, uh, thing is, you know, he is due a lot of money. Um, and we found out he had shoulder surgery. I don't know how serious mm -hmm. that was, but he had that shoulder surgery this off season. And I'm just hearing these cryptic kind of comments now and again by Pete Carroll's noncommittal. Um, sort of things uh, said about Wright and his role and what Jordan Brooks is going to be doing. All of that adds up to maybe Wright's the one that's in question right yeah. now. And that would be unpopular, um, but he his knees look bad. And if he had uh, shoulder surgery on top of that, that's going to be, like physically, it's just going to be uh, a difficult uh, way for him to get you know back and and fully uh, into the defense and everything, but at the same time, like he's still one of the smarter linebackers out there. His ability to sniff out a screen and just be there the moment uh, somebody catches a ball um, in that is just uncanny. So they do. I mean, you lose that if nothing else. Uh, it's going to be an unpopular move if if KJ Wright is moved on, but 
you know, you're looking at a lot of cap savings. And if they get an op- or opportunity to get uh, Clowney back in camp and back on this roster, and it requires them to uh, move on from KJ Wright, they might just have to do it because they've got so many other options at linebacker right now. I agree. I agree. So anything else out of the Irvin thing? I mean, he had eight and a half sacks last year for the Panthers in 13 games. Um, since he left after the 2015 season, do you know this is ninth NFL season coming up? That's crazy. I uh, played with the Raiders, the Falcons, and the Panthers coming back to the Seahawks. Um, I think it's a good thing. You know, the more I think about the way that they've spread the pass rush out over like four players now or five players on the defense as opposed to just relying on Clowney and Ansa that never showed up last year. It it has the potential. I'm not going to say it is, but it has the potential of being a better, well-rounded unit than it was last year. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, it comes down to, to me, uh, just looking at, at the contract details, uh, Bruce Irvin is a better, more reliable, uh, and cheaper uh, contributor than uh, Ansa, who did nothing. He just basically took up seven and a half million dollars of cap space and and didn't give the team hardly anything. Um, whereas you know Irvin's contract, you know he's set up to have uh, it's five point nine million is his cap number. Um, Granted, they could save five million of that if they if they cut him if he doesn't make the team, um, but I don't foresee that being even a possibility. Uh, but just to come in and be a better player, an upgrade over Ansa is what they're looking for. And on, yeah, they may not have Clowney on the other side now, uh, but they're going to have an upgrade in what was their weakest spot on the defensive line last year. So I, I think it's a, a good fit. In addition, you've got um, Brooks, which is an, an outstanding blitzer mm-hmm. as, as a guy that can come in and, and maybe Irvin can show him a few things, you know, um, as far as pass rush type moves and, and so forth. Brooks is a little undersized, at only six foot, but it, it is a lot of additional team speed though, uh, to be able to use yeah. and utilize. So I don't know. I just, I think I'm okay. I'm feeling better about the pass rush. I'm not completely confident, but it may be a situation where the CX do need to go into the season with what they've got. And maybe they pick up something, you know, towards the end of camp, um, like they did last year and maybe not as significant as clowny. But maybe they can pick up somebody that would at least add some depth that would make you feel just just that little more at ease about the whole situation. But until then, mm-hmm. it is what it is. So, well, I one of the things that that struck me from his interview was he talked about uh, when he left here and he went and played for a year in Oakland under um, Gruden, and he hated it. He was miserable. He said that. Uh, you know, Chucky is crazy, and that's why he's got the nickname of Chucky. And yeah. um, and he he just it was miserable. And at that point, he's like he just wanted to go home. And for him, he lives in Atlanta. He grew up there, and and that so that's why he went and signed with uh, uh, with the Falcons. Was he was just so miserable in Oakland. He just wanted to go home. 
Um, and then it was, okay, let's go find a job. And so after a year there, then he went and, and played in, in Carolina where he had, um, you know, the, the role wasn't exactly you know, something that he felt that he could uh, use the most of his skill. But at the same time, they allowed him to have a particular job, which was to get after the quarterback. And he was able to put up some stat, sack stats and that kind of stuff. So um, in that sense, he said it was, it, was, it was a decent fit. But he's very happy to be back because he knew that Seattle was where his career made sense uh, to him, where it was uh, he was appreciated here, uh, but he also made a significant contribution and felt like he was really adding to the team and on top of the fact that the culture and everything. Exactly. So he wanted to be in Seattle. He had other options, but he wanted Seattle more than anything after the the road that he's taken since he left. And you cannot have enough guys like that um, in your locker room because it, it just adds to the culture. It just makes things better. It, it, um, allows if there is like any hard spots along the way it just allows a a locker room to weather that storm when you've got veteran leaders that are that they have that much buy-in to the program yeah he mentioned the the maturity and his age and being around pros like red bryant and brandon mebane and chris clemens and michael bennett and they showed him how to be a pro and he said Mm -hmm. now it's my turn and hit upon exactly what you just said. Uh, it's his turn to show the young guys not only uh, pass rush moves, but how to be a pro, how to take care of your mm-hmm. body, how to how to have nutrition, how to uh, take care of injury, and how to how to take care of uh, being a pro outside of the organization in in the public eye too. So cool, Bruce Irvin. So another uh, guy that's a, that's a quote unquote seasoned veteran now. Uh, is Philip Dorsett. Um, we picked up the uh, former first-round draft pick wide receiver in free agency. Previous stop was, I think, the Indianapolis Colts who drafted him and then went on to the New England Patriots. And uh, so he talked about how, how they're learning right now, uh, the virtual learning, and uh, how either good that was or how frustrating it was. And he says, you know, we, we, we meet like this all the time. Uh, it's, you know, I'm a pro. This is how we handle it. Uh, we can handle all this, the mental stuff, uh, the meetings and stuff. It's how you handle the physical work on your own. Uh, but I'm a pro, so, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Um, he asked uh, why he chose Seattle in free agency, and he felt like it was the right fit. He wanted to come here, actually thought about coming here last year when he had an opportunity to sign, uh, but it never really progressed at that point. So, yeah, and he said he had familiarity with with Sanjay. He called him Sanjay. It's Coach Sanjay. Uh, I think that's his last name, but I can't remember for sure. Um, Who he'd worked for uh, in the past with the Indianapolis Colts. So he was kind of coming into Mm -hmm. a, um, a room where he had some knowledge of the coaches. And then he wanted to play with Russell Wilson, one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. And so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the gist of it. But he's never been to the Pacific Northwest. You know, here's a guy signed with the Seahawks, never been to the Pacific Northwest, you know, let alone Seattle. I just thought that was just the nature of the times right now. It's kind of crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that is weird in that in his um, in his career and his playing that he they never he never had an away game in Seattle, which I thought was um, peculiar. But hey, it's how it worked out. Um, this is a good signing. I like. It. I mean, this is a, a take the top off the defense, super speed guy, kind of a straight line runner. Um, I really liked him in the draft. I did think Indianapolis overdrafted him, um, but. I liked him in the draft, so I didn't really have a major problem with it. Um, but he never has kind of lived up to that promise. Well, part of that is who he was playing for uh, in both in Indy and in uh, New England, where the offenses that they ran, especially when uh, Andrew Luck was hurt, which was most of the time, they just couldn't take advantage of his strengths. And Tom Brady is Tom Brady, but he has never had the, like, superior, um, well above average, you know, arm strength and deep throw. Um, instead he's much more of a, a timing short, super accurate guy. And that just doesn't fit with, um, you know, Dorsett's skill set. So now he's finally got uh, a quarterback that can buy time and allow people to get deep, um, and throws an amazing yeah. deep ball. Um, saw some recent stats that came out that he had more, um, Somebody developed a thing. It was big time throws. It was basically throws where the uh, air. It's the amount of air yards had to be. I think forty yards, and the coverage had to be a certain like level of where it's tight coverage. But he completed it anyways. Um, and he had more than those than anybody else in the league, and no one was particularly close. Like, I think Wilson had twenty two, and the next best was seventeen. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about a great deep ball thrower uh, together with a guy with tremendous straight line speed uh, and the ability to just run away from everyone. And if you're a defense, you can't just park a safety over there worrying about him getting behind people because what do you do with Lockett, who's also a deep threat, and Metcalf, who's probably the fastest of the three um, as being a deep threat, and he's like, you know, eight feet tall. So yeah. uh, you ha- you, you th- it sets up for the Seahawks are going to be able to get people deep. And you've got a quarterback that's a master at, at buying time. And Philip Dorsett just fits right in to this group uh, very well. And they did it on less than a million dollars of, of salary. Like he, he's, he signed for a minimum salary benefit contract. I think that, uh, this is a, a completely underrated signing. In addition to that long ball speed and being able to get down the field, he's a great underneath guy too. Um, and he said that he wants to, uh, and the coaches asked him to be able to run the in, the entire route tree. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to use him all over the field. I think he's a complete, if you take a look at it this way, he's a complete and total upgrade over Jerron Brown. You know, and that's the way oh, this absolutely. thing needs to be viewed is he's the number three <laughs> wide receiver, yeah. you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and, and I think he's probably going to end up catching. And we talked about this when Jerome Brown was signed a couple years ago, that he had the potential to catch 35, 40 balls a year. And Philip Dorsett is definitely that he's got the ability to catch, you know, 35 or 40 balls on, you know, 55, 60 targets. And, um, you know, there there is going to be a shortage of balls to go around. We're going to talk about another guy here in just a, a second who's going to take some of those as well. Uh, but he's going to get his opportunities as that third guy. 
Um, and I think that it's going to be a much better fit for the Seahawks, much better fit for Philip Dorsett. Um, and I think Russell Wilson's going to love the guy. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, Brown got so many snaps over the last Oh my years gosh. He was on the field 80% of the time and would come away with zero stat line. It was, it was remarkable. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, the, the, they kept running him out there and he, you know, they, Pete Carroll kept trying to praise him and be like, yeah, he's doing what we ask him to do and whatever. But eventually they moved on and um, benched him and, and started getting Malik Turner, who was so good. They didn't even like they rescinded his um, uh, extent exclusive rights deal uh, um, uh, contract. And, um, you know, guys like that were getting playing time over him there at the end because they just knew that Brown wasn't productive. And now they get a guy who is an upgrade in like, at least physically in every way. Um, he's just a better athlete all the way around and they're doing so at a much cheaper price because he's playing on a minimum salary benefit contract, which means that even though he's getting paid, um, just under a million dollars, he's only going to count 800, um, what is it? 840,000 against the cap because of, uh, just the way the rules were, are to help veterans get signed um, and not just always get pushed out by rookies. So um, it's it's just a great thing all the way around for the Seahawks. Yeah. So the wide receiver room has got Philip Dorsett, Penny Hart, who we haven't even talked about yet. And I think we probably will talk about some of these guys as we do a roster show coming up in a couple of weeks. Tyler Lockett, TK Metcalf, obviously David Moore still still around. We drafted uh, and and moved up into the, back into the draft in the seventh round for uh, Stefan Sullivan, who we'll talk about in a minute as we go through his press conference. Freddie Swain, we drafted him as well in the sixth round. Um, we've got Cody Thompson, a guy we haven't talked about before, and then John Ursua. That wide receiver room is actually looking pretty good, and when you combine it with the tight end room, Keith. Plus the receiving running backs um, that we've got on the roster. Whew. I mean, we've got some, Russell Wilson's got some weapons. I mean, he asked for weapons. He's got a lot of stuff going on there that he can use. Yeah, he's going to be able to spread the ball around. This isn't um, where they're they're going to have to force the ball to, to lock it like they did two years ago. Um, and you know, you know, because he was the only guy that was. I mean, Baldwin was still here, but he wasn't healthy. Um, it, it isn't going to be that. He has weapons at all the positions he's going to have the ability to uh read the field and 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 take what the defense gives him and that's going to be new for him because he hasn't really had that kind of weaponry around him since 2013 well one of those guys that's uh new on board now this interview took place a long uh time ago about a month ago was greg olson 35 year old Mm -hmm. tight end formerly of the panthers he did his presser as well. In fact, everyone probably remembers him uh, being spoofed a little bit by Will Ferrell uh, on the um, on his uh, interview, um, or not an interview, but in, in the in the tight end room uh, meeting that they they put out. But in his interview, um, he was excited to come over here. He chose Seattle over Washington. Ron Rivera had moved there along with his staff from Carolina. And Buffalo, where he had a familiar uh, coach that coached him uh, at, the, at the tight end position when he was in Chicago. He chose Seattle because he wanted to be here with Pete and Russell Wilson. I mean, that's basically the bottom line. And he said he's mm-hmm. still in great shape. He's He 
thinks he hasn't lost anything, he can come and contribute uh, just like he has the previous, you know, 10 seasons. You know, that's it's high talk to talk like that. You got to be able to see it on the field. In fact, he even mentioned that. He said, you know, people want to look at me as a leader uh, to come in and, in the room and just be a guy. And I don't want to be just a guy. I'm gonna, I'm coming in to play. I want to play and um, my play on the field will dictate how people will look at me as a leader. Um, so the play comes first. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, he's coming in. Uh, they wanted a veteran. They wanted someone who could come in and basically provide some stability because they've been leaning on uh, Will Disley the last two years to be kind of the guy, his rookie year and his sophomore year. And in both of those, he has performed extremely well early on and then suffered a catastrophic in- injury. And um, they they when he left their uh, productivity from that position really dropped off. And Luke Wilson came in and he was, you know, signed off the street uh, to come back to Seattle. And he was, uh, did a good job of, you know, kind of holding things down, but he's not the playmaker that Disley is. And uh, eventually they got Hollister involved and, and, and that worked well in the passing game, but he's not a blocker. So they, they needed a guy that could do the Will Disley things if Will Disley gets hurt again, or if he's just not ready. And Greg Olson is a guy that, you know, has been an all pro. I mean, he is, um, he's a top flight guy. Now he's older and he's had his own injury history, but he can do everything and do it at a high level, uh, much like Disley. And so to have that guy there, to know that you've now got two different people that can uh, handle that role in the offense, uh, is something that the coaching staff needed last year, uh, and they're glad they've got it this year. So that way they can build the offense around having that type of player in there. You know, and we've talked about this, but if Disley's 100% and is able to stay healthy, and then you add Greg Olson into that, plus what we got last year out of Hollister, and then you add the the rookie, uh, Colby Parkinson, who we got in the fourth round, who's just a big, huge, tall tree, um, with arms mm-hmm. <laughs> that can just reach up and snag balls. Guys, six, that, seven. That, I'm telling you, dude, the, uh, the, between the wide receivers and the tight ends, we are set up with almost as, about as much talent as I could remember having between those two groups. And you add that to the Russell Wilson's ability and the, there's no holding that offense back this year. I mean, as long as we can get protection from our offensive line, which is not going to lack continuity right up front. But if they can build that, this thing could be pretty special. Mm-hmm. So that was, <clears throat> excuse me, what I had for a veteran um, free agent kind of guys as far as press conferences are concerned. Um, all of the rookies after they were drafted uh, had their own pre- press conferences as well. Before we get to that, I just want to mention two not necessarily breaking news, but kind of a breaking story in that Adam Kaplan uh, is reporting, along with Corbin Smith, uh, the Seahawks beat reporter, that the Seahawks have been trying to sign free agent running back Devonta Freeman and have offered him a contract. Previous fourth round 2014 draft pick by Atlanta. He's only 5'8", 
209, but he's got some pretty decent production over a long period of time. And he's more of a change of pace kind of receiving back out of the backfield, although he has been able to rush the ball successfully. His his uh, receiving ability is, a, you know, a pretty decent receiver out of the backfield option um, if he were to come on board. And that would be uh, only because Penny looks like he's going to start the season on uh, injured reserve and it would just be Carson back there. So something to keep an eye on. Yeah, well, it, it'd be Carson and DJ Dallas. And what this is telling me, if, if they're actively trying to pursue uh, Freeman, which is a good fit in Seattle's offense, it really is, um, as the third down back, is what they're basically saying that they don't trust Travis Homer to hold down that role all year. Like he is a guy they like, he's there, but they don't trust him to be, uh, to have that significant role um, in the offense every week. And so that, and that's why they're going to get, they're going out and getting his replacement. Um, And that will be debatable. Uh, There'll be people who be, be upset that they're, that they're basically giving up on Homer. He showed some, promise at the end of last year and there'll be some people who aren't they're like they're not they're not going to lose any sleep over it because while homer is a good receiving back and does his stuff outside of the tackles well he also showed that running the inside zone the between the tackle stuff that is the staple of seattle's offense is not something yeah that this is do. interesting though i mean so. freeman wouldn't be my first choice on a back that would be able to run between the tackles consistently you know, he's he's oh. going to be able to give you a little bit of that. And maybe that's all we really need. If you take a look at Carson, Carson takes 80, 85 percent of between the tackle rushes. And then you get a guy like Freeman in and he's only touching the ball, you know, five or six times a game running between the tackles. He could probably handle that load. Um, but to have a guy like that to be able to come in and receive the ball out of the backfield, you add that into it. Um it really does uh, significantly improve the overall offense, I think, to be able to have a guy that's consistently able to do that. And you're right. Homer's just, mm-hmm. he doesn't have enough um, carries and receptions yet to be able to be trusted completely in the offense. I think he could probably do it, but, you know, he showed last year he's he's can be steady. I don't know that he's going to be special, so we'll see. Yeah, and that's, I think that's what the they're, they're doing with that is they're just like okay well if he's he does one role really well but we know he doesn't run between the tackles so we go, okay well let's go get freeman who does that same role really well and although he's also not great between the tackles we know we can get more out of him in that role and i think that's kind of more of where they're leaning i so the report says that seattle uh, offered him a contract but that the first response was that freeman uh did not accept that deal and wants a little bit more money. And Seattle is trying to stay mm-hmm. firm, which I agree with. And so Freeman's looking yeah. for a better deal. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Chances are there's probably not a huge market for him. Um, he yep. went through a... Anytime, anytime those deals come out, or you know what I mean? Like those, those details come out. Um, I always think about who benefits from it. And right. like... Uh, why would it be leaked? And the Seahawks don't really benefit by it. The person who benefits by it would be Freeman. And so it was probably leaked by his agent um, or someone in his agent's office. 
uh, in order to be like, hey, the Seahawks are going to yep. sign this guy. And there's no chatter right now across the league for running backs right now. I mean, it's just dead out there as far as uh, guys out there that are still out there that willing would be willing to sign and so forth. So, And we've talked yep. about Marshawn Lynch being available at the end of mm-hmm. you know August um, to sign as well. So something, you know, this is another name uh, to watch. All right. Um, rookies. Jordan Brooks, first up, 27th overall pick. Um, Jordan Brooks got on um, his presser and was a very impressive guy. I mean, he just looked, to me, he looked like a guy who was a linebacker. And he was very serious and had the steely eyes and looked like he just wanted to hurt somebody. I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but I really <laughs> liked his attitude. He talked about aggressiveness and toughness and passion. And he said, first and foremost, I'm a football player. And I didn't have any disagreement with that when I when I heard him say that. Um, he said he looked up to Bobby Wagner when he was younger, and um, and he wants to be the best linebacker in the in the game. And um, he's looking forward to playing with Wagner and picking his brain uh, to develop. He said he played outside linebacker his first three years in college, and they only switched and in high school as well. And they only switched him to inside linebacker because of a scheme change, new defensive coordinator, and they needed him in that spot. Um, so he only played middle linebacker his senior year in college, and that's where you get the disparity in the evaluations. Um, so a lot of evaluators are looking at senior year tape. Um, some sometimes you get guys that are looking a little deeper than that, um, like the Seahawks. The Seahawks went back and looked at all that. Um, that older stuff and um, they found the guy that they wanted in the draft. So what do you think of the pick and what did you think of the, uh, the press conference? So we've already talked about, like, I like the pick. I like the getting, they needed uh, more defensive speed. This is guys just, he's just, you know, insanely fast. Um, And instinctive. Yeah. Instinctive. And and his, his tape, especially his junior year when he was playing, uh, outside linebacker looked outstanding. I mean, he looked like a first round pick. Um, they moved into the inside, which shows, you know, that he's a team player and a leader and that kind of stuff. Cause they moved him in where they needed him. It, he was kind of playing out of position, uh, still looked great in certain aspects of it, of what he was doing and looked um, like he struggled a little bit in coverage and, and his responsibilities, but that's, not his position, right? He was playing out of position to help the team. Um, and so, and just the fact that he was able, you know, willing to admit those things and be like, yeah, like, you know, um, I need to get better at certain things and, and, but I'm, I'm here to learn and, and, and pick Bobby Wagner's brain and just become the best player I can be. I mean, yeah, these are the kinds of things that you expect rookies to say, but it's also great to hear them, especially when they're, they're said with the type of enthusiasm that um, that Brooks like had during his press conference. The next one up was Daryl Taylor, a defensive end from Tennessee. Um, the Seahawks moved up to get him to make sure that they got him in the second round. Um, John and Pete told him that that he wants uh, he wants him to come in and rush the passer and move forward. So this guy. While he has, he's got the build to be a, a Sam linebacker and set the edge and all that kind of stuff, they really want him in that pass rush role um, in that Leo kind of role. He's, he is going to be asked to set the edge over there, just like Cliff Averill was. Um, but he's definitely going to give us some speed and pass rush moves that I think we haven't had for, uh, well, at least since Frank Clark was here. Um, he, decided, he described himself in his 
uh, strengths as a long arm power stabber, <laughs> which sounds really intense. Um, I like that. Uh, speed to power moves, he's, and uh, he can run and he can cover. Um, but he, he said he could get better with his hand use. So he admitted the fact that he could. He thinks he can get better with his hand use. I think that's pretty cool. And the Seahawks do a good job of teaching that, by the way. They value. Yeah. They value that. Um, and, you know, they have. Well, hold on. Hold on. The best part here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, he said his favorite uh, thing is uh, his dipping and ripping. So he says, when I'm, when I'm dipping and ripping and I see the quarterback sitting there waiting to be hit, that's my favorite part. <laughs> being a football player. Yep. So I thought that was awesome. Um, yeah, this very athletic guy, kind of raw. Um, I think the best way to describe him is he's a, a five-star athlete with three-star skills. Um, he just he needs coaching and training, and a lot of it is little fine details, like um, you know, with his hand placement and and what to do it, you know, with his hands and um, not having that extra. Uh, stutter step when he jumps into his, um, you know, his, his pass rush move to try and get around the tackle and, and, and things like that. But those are things that are correctable. Those are things that if a guy wants to learn and is willing to put in the work, you can fix uh, at the pro level and, and turn them into a better player. And he's already a good player. I, this, this was a great pick. I, I loved it. Um, I know that there are people out there that were like kind of underwhelmed. Um, they wanted a they wanted a first round, uh, uh, you know, pass rusher instead of a second round pass rusher. But you know what? They got a good player. I'm, I'm excited for, to have him coming off the edge, getting after quarterbacks. Well, you know, and a reminder to Keith, um, two things. He played his first two seasons at defensive end, and then they switched him to outside linebacker the last two. So he had a, did have a position switch he had to mm-hmm. figure out. He also played with a stress fracture his senior year. Yeah, he did. And so when you're playing through that, and he did have surgery. Doing that? That's... Well, and he had surgery, so it was bad enough to have surgery. And he said he had, um, he had to be cut from his knee to his shin and have a titanium rod placed in there. It took two months for the scar itself to, to close up, which was just a month ago yeah. um, that, that that finally closed up. And he said he's, he's finally pain-free and his leg is healthy as a horse. But to play through that, I think pinpoints maybe some of the struggles I think that you saw in film, at least his senior year, mm-hmm. of not being as consistent and having that issue of um, you know being a step slow or trying to more more of a finesse guy than I think he actually really is. Well, I didn't even say he was a step slow. I mean, the guy's got like incredible athleticism and that jumps out of the tape, even with the stress fracture. It was more of the um, extra step, the stutter. The, it was just, you know, the the imperfectness of his of his footwork as he, as he goes from uh, the initial couple steps into an actual pass rush move to get around someone. But that is mm-hmm. absolutely, as you're saying, something that could have been affected by, you know, the fact that he doesn't have the power in that leg, or it's just that it hurts so much to push off too much. So he ends up taking that extra stutter step and and things like that. And yeah. I'm you're, you you if you if the people listening can't tell, I'm I like the first two picks that that Seattle made. Um, the and these are very athletic guys with a lot of speed for their position, a tremendous amount of upside, and they'll be able to contribute right away. 
Yeah, no, you're right. And and the, the, the next guy we're going to talk about, too, I think all three of these guys could potentially start for the Seahawks. I know that Daryl Taylor um, is definitely going to be in a rotation where he's going to get heavy playing time. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the cool thing about Taylor, too, and you hear this uh, the more you remove from the draft, is how many teams were actually interested in him and, and selecting him in the second round um, or, the, or the top of the third round, and Seattle was able to go in and get that. So um, I love the pick. I think people are going to get excited when you really watch him, too. He just moves. He moves great, and he's got that dip and bend that I think Seahawks really haven't had. Um, even Frank Clark, you know, Frank Clark was a nice bender, but, um, he was such a big, thick guy that he just lacked that, uh, impressive, uh, rip and bend thing that, that some of these elite pass rushers have and, and Daryl Taylor's got it. Yeah. And the last one, I think that was similar would have been Cliff Averill, um, uh, or, you, you know, if you really want to go back to someone with the same Clemens. the same one, it would be Clemens, because that was what yeah. what made Chris Clemens so good at getting after the quarterback was his ability to get around the edge and uh, just to get underneath the, the outside shoulder of the defensive tackle, lean into them um, and just get around that corner. Um, yep. and, and that's really what we're, what we're, we're talking about when we say that, you know, that, yep. that dip or, the, that or this and, guy can press up, press up into somebody, get his hands up into him mm-hmm. and then rip underneath and go in, in front of him instead of going clear around him as well. Yeah. So and there's just, he's got that nice move too. He's got, um, he just, these are a couple of guys that they're not, they're not guys that are going to, that are, you're, they need to be perfect in everything they do to win. Um, because athletically they can win even at the pro level, um, with imperfect technique, and then they can continue to improve that technique and have they, if they do have the ability to be absolutely dominant. Um, well, and the interesting thing about Taylor too, is he's 25 pounds heavier than Clemens or Averill were, you know? And so mm -hmm. that adds an extra little element of being able to set that edge that I think, you know, Chris Clemens could never do. And, um, and Cliff Averill did um, just out of sheer will because he was just that sort of a player. Mm-hmm. But Daryl uh, Taylor's got that so size. If I'm if I'm going to speculate, I'm going to say that uh, Daryl Taylor is going to be uh, the seven tech, the um, Cliff Averill, Chris Clemens side of the line. Um, yes, he's going to be the starter on the first two, for first and second down, um, and then he comes off when when uh, Bruce Irvin moves up. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And uh, so that way he ends up getting about 66% of, or maybe slightly higher, 70% of, of the snap, somewhere like that. But um, it gives him a a role where he can focus on, you know, that thing and not have to be doing And I think if he were to stay in there, too, they could do some nifty little scheming um, blitzes with um, with with Irvin, Irvin as well. Irvin or Brooks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, so sorry for the dogs barking. <laughs> um, the next guy was, was, uh, Lewis and I'm trying to find my notes on Lewis. Sorry. I apologize. I thought I had him. Here we go. Damian Lewis, 69th pick overall at guard. Keith, I don't know about you. Did you watch this, um, conference at all? This one is one that I missed, and I, I, so I didn't actually get to see him talk, okay, but I well, did go back go, and you got to go see it. I did go back and read like his answers to questions, and so I, I've got that, but I don't have the, the, 
the knowledge of what he, you know, the way he said things and, and yeah. what he looked well, the, like. You would have loved it. Yeah. So he's <laughs> just a, a great, intense guy. Like he's intense. Like I was imagining, um, who was our, our other guy that we just got? Fluker. Fluker. He's like Fluker, only he's just more intense. Like Fluker's kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, but a little bit of an edge with him. This guy's all edge. Like the, he's just excited to come in and uh, be with the fellows and bring something special to the team. And he's got that sort of LSU vibe about him where he's done it. He's got the championship and he he just wants to be able to come into the room and teach the guys. Like he had that mentality already as a, as a rookie. Um and then uh, he talked about the adversity, the junior college route that he had to take because he didn't have any, he didn't have any um, uh, offers for scholarships. And by the time that that uh, the eleven game schedule had been played, his first college year, he had like seventeen scholarship offers after eleven games as a junior college player. Um, so he ended up going to LSU and uh, leading that line there. So there were almost every, I think every starter on that LSU line was drafted. And he was kind of the physical leader, the the, impose, the will imposer on that offensive line. Um, so he's going to, he said, I'm going to bring the mean, nasty, and toughness. Um, and we like that. So um, he said, I'm used to being dedicated accountable and responsible to my brothers on the offensive line. And I intend to bring that to my new team. I'm the guy that leaves it all out there for your team. So Damian Lewis, I pencil in him as the right guard, dude. I mean, after watching that interview, I just, he's the guy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so much the interview that I had me pencil him in. It was his college tape because he is that guy. Um, he's that guy that can, uh, just do what the Seahawks want out of the right guard. And that is just do what Fluker did well. And that's just maul the person in front of him and push him five, uh, six yards back uh, and create uh, lanes for the running backs. And that's that's what they ask of their guard. They ask them to hold their own as a pass blocker, but not they don't need to be dominant in that role. They need to be dominant in the run blocking. And that's exactly what Damian Lewis is. And I do... I. I do have him as a starter. Uh, I just think that's a great fit. It was a great fit for the of player skill and scheme um, and need. So it was just kind of like the perfect fit all the way across. And to have him there, uh, just it was a. It's one of those moves, one of those draft picks that people kind of take for granted because it's not sexy. It's a guard, but it's this is the type of player that you then count on for the next ten years, and you just kind of. Don't worry about the position. Well, let me ask you this. Um, and this is not a criticism of you or me or the process or whatever, but it seems to me like we were saying similar things last year about Phil Haynes and we drafted him in the fourth round. And I'm, I'm hearing it on a completely different level for Damian Lewis this year, like he was almost a first round pick or a, you know early second round pick kind of a vibe about about it as opposed to the Phil Haynes thing. Now we thought Phil Haynes would have an opportunity to come in. He got hurt. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of slowed his progress down, but this guy seems on a completely different level for some reason. Well, with, with Haynes, what you have is a situation where he was coming in with, as a guard um, who had two veterans in front of him and um, some other young players like Ethan Posick. 
who had had some starting, you know, uh, opportunities and done okay with them. So he was coming in, he had this fit uh, about him where he's like, wow, this is a Seahawk player. Um, but his, his role as far as actually getting on the field as a rookie was, um, it was less defined. We didn't know what path it was going to take to get him there. And then he got hurt and missed most of the season because of his injury. And so it wasn't until really, it was, wasn't, he didn't get on the field until the playoff game. Um, and he, when he came in, he looked good, but it was at the end of a year in a playoff game. It's, it's one game sample. Um, so yeah, you and I were like all over, uh, the Phil Haynes thing, but, and most other people weren't, but a lot of it had to do with just the situation. Whereas with Lewis, he's being brought in to be the right guard. Um, they cut the guy in front of him, the starter. Uh, basically, they're like, it's his job to lose, and someone has to come up, step up and beat him. Whereas even now... Well, and he played on a, a NCAA championship team. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big difference as well. Yeah, and then with, with Haynes, like, he... He is the guy that's going to compete at left guard um, with Mike Lupati. And they want him to win that job. They want him to uh, show them that they don't need the mediocre veteran, um, that they can go with the young player and have it be an improvement. Um, I agree. But they want him to show it. I mean, it, it, to him, it's just, a, it's just a different situation because he was hurt all last year. Um and so they, he needs to come in and earn earn that spot. But I think they're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised. He there's he's still the same player that he was when he was drafted. The same player that you and I both really liked, um, and the player that we saw in the playoffs when he came in uh, off the bench and played really well. So I think it's a um, a good fit overall. And and those two guards give me a lot of hope about Seattle's offensive line going forward. They still need help at tackle on both sides of the line, to be honest. Um, Cause I think Dwayne Brown's probably in his last year, but you know, you have those two guys uh, at guard and you have a, a good center and BJ Finney. I mean, it's a, um, the interior of the line, there's a lot of promise there. There's a lot like that could be set and good for the next, you know, foreseeable future. So I'm going to cruise through these last uh, five players pretty quickly um just because we're getting long in the show colby parkinson tight end uh 254 pound guy said he wants to get up to 260 pounds the 133rd pick overall team intends to use him as a as a wide tight uh tight end kind of a jack of all trades kind of guy he came in with the rep of being uh mostly a pass catching guy though Mm -hmm. like you said earlier in the show six seven um at that size and runs a six, six something 40, which is really quick for that size. And, uh, so he's got a huge red target ability. Um, he prides himself as being a hard worker. He says he's accountable. Um, he's, he loves the opportunity to play with Russell Wilson, obviously. Um, he likes to be able to make every catch and he's a willing blocker. He wants to be able to to do it, but he, he admits that he's a work in progress and we probably all, all know that, um, outside of football, he likes to play the guitar and he likes to golf. And that's kind of what I got out of that mm-hmm. little, uh, 15 minute presser. The thing I got most out of him, uh, out of his presser was I just started noticing that any skill position player that joins the Seahawks 
talks about how playing for Russell Wilson is the major selling point on why it's such a good opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and it's been a long, I don't know if we've ever had a quarterback that has elicited no. those kind of responses by every single person that joins the team. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you think back to the moment when Matt Hasselbeck was in his prime with the Seahawks, he was a top 10 in the NFL quarterback, maybe top seven, mm-hmm. you know, ish. And you heard that a little bit, but people get excited. It's a whole other level with Russell Wilson. I think Prisco came out with his top 100 players in the NFL. And even Prisco now has him as the third overall uh, player in the NFL, um, only behind uh, Mahomes at, at the quarterback position. And I I tend to agree with that, yeah. that ranking. I, um, I'm I'm on board with that. And the fact that Prisco would do that is surprising because he's been the the most anti Wilson media person like pretty much out there. And for him to have come around on Wilson and to put him now as the third best player in the NFL is surprising. Yeah. Well, and and like you said, everyone wants to play with him. I mean, it was the first thing out of Greg's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first thing out of uh, Parkinson's mouth when he, when he started talking about uh, the offense and and how he would fit. Um, the guy and Philip Dorsett said the same thing. Um, the guy's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. I want to come play with him. Um, so, anyway, it's it'll be interesting to see how they use Parkinson in his first year. Uh, being that sort of a pick with that much upside, uh, he's definitely probably a lock for the roster. Absolutely. It just really depends on how they view him in the rotation because Olsen's going to be there. If Disley starts the year healthy and not on the pup list, um, you're, there's your two primary guys. Wilson's on the roster again uh, on a minimal contract they could cut. And then, um, what's him call it? Hollister. Mm-hmm. Uh, signed actually a, a, a second round tender at three point something million dollars, so that's a pretty decent contract, but it's non guaranteed. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that contract being if he's going to make the roster. I could see that contract being ripped up in favor of like a two year deal um, at a lower number. So it's like, hey, you're like a cut and resign thing, or just a here we're going to resign him. Um, so it's, you know, when you, when you sign a new contract, you can either extend what's current or you can replace. Um, and my guess is it would be a replacement type of deal where he would be, uh, signed to a new contract that would replace his current one, lower his cap number, lower his salary, but give him more money overall. Um, but just over two years instead of over just the one. Um, and so in order for him to stay, I have a hard time believing that they keep, uh, Hollister for that much money on a one-year deal. Um, yeah, I've heard that from a number of different people, and I'm just not sure because of the production that Hollister did have in eight or ten games. It was remarkable. Um, and if you extend that out over a course of a 16-game season, that guy could have had 70 catches. Mm-hmm. So just it'd be interesting to see what the team does there. Okay, this this one was the mo- one of the more interesting picks, I thought, in the draft. One that confounded me probably the most uh, that I didn't quite get and still don't fully understand how he fits is DJ Dallas, the running back with the 144th pick overall. Um, he kind of reunites with Travis Homer. He seems to be kind of a Travis Homer type running back to me. Mm-mm. Um and uh, he moved from wide receiver to running back in college. 
Uh, so he's got all of that background to help him receive the ball out of the backfield. Um, he's also got some returning ability, which will be interesting, and I think he'll need that to make the roster um, as far as a special teams contributor. Um, and he'll do whatever it takes. He'll run between the tackles. He'll receive out of the backfield or special teams. And he made that clear on his presser. Um, the one thing that he's really good at um, that he was really well known for in college was um, blocking and protecting the quarterback on passing downs. So he's a great blocker. Um, pick up the blitzes, pick up linebackers, anybody coming through. And we know how much Pete Carroll loves that. See, I don't, I, I, I see him. He is, uh, you, you really like him and you've said this before. I, do. I just, he's, I haven't, I haven't got there yet. He's the Rashad Penny replacement, um, because Penny's going to start the year, um, on the pup list or on IR. And, uh, this is the guy that they also view as potentially the Chris Carson replacement. If they can't, uh, get Carson to resign. If at they a were so high on him. Why would they do a Devonte? um, whatchamacallit? Be, uh, because Freeman's coming in to replace Homer, not to replace Dallas. Um, and so, you know, you'd have what you'd go into the season if they did that would be Carson is the one, uh, Dallas as the two, and Freeman as the third down back. Um, Interesting. And uh, I see, yeah, he was a wide receiver because he's got that kind of speed. Um, but he also, his production between the tackles was great. He needs to, you know, become a little bit more patient in his running style. Um, but he makes decisions and he's super, um, you know, he'll just put plant his foot and go. Uh, he doesn't hesitate. And, you know, all the little things that you want um, out of a, a running back and he's got the size and the power and he just runs people over. And there's so much, so much to like about Dallas. I don't see him as a Homer replacement or a third down back. He's a guy I that's, don't like his last name. I think that's it for me. Maybe that's just having a hard time realizing that that name is going to be on the back of a Seahawks jersey. It's hard to like Dallas, right? (laughs) What am am I going to (laughs) say? So, Uh, so anyway, good luck, DJ. Um, You know, I he's in that weird spot where it's kind of almost a late fourth round, early fifth round pick for running back. It'll be interesting. I mean, I, I, it's one of those picks that I think will I'll fall in love with once I see him on the field. Um, but I just haven't. I can't picture it right now. So, um, the next one is Alton Robinson. Now, this one for me it gets me a little bit more excited. Uh, defensive end, hundred forty eighth overall pick. Um, he was used as a five tech, a nine tech, a six tech, a four three defensive end, and every down defensive end in college at Syracuse <clears throat> kind of fell in the draft a little bit, had some character issues early on in his career. He said he's uh, overcome with that. He spoke of the immaturity that led to those issues with a girlfriend and some charges that were later dropped related to that. Uh, but it did lead, lead to the dismissal early on from Texas A&M and then him uh, eventually landing in Syracuse after they vetted him pretty thoroughly. And and the one thing that he prides himself the most with is his relentless competitiveness, which mm-hmm. Pete Carroll would absolutely fall in love with. Yeah, this is a guy with um, probably second, maybe third round talent who the Seahawks got in the fifth round because 
teams just weren't sure what to do with him. Um, this is a guy that had it been a normal off season and they would have had more in uh, person interviews and he could have gone and done, you know, visits with teams probably would have gone higher, like significantly. He was really likable. I mean, I really enjoyed his yeah. um, little presser cause he was very uh, talkative. Um, he w- understood his role. He was uh, easily explained some of the issues that he had in the past. He talked about his training in Bellevue with Cliff Averill and he, uh, he has, has met, uh, KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner there as well. So he was just excited to be a Seahawk, mm-hmm. which is fun. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think in a normal off season, this guy's a third round pick. He might've been a second round pick. I mean, he's, he's a performer. He's a, uh, the right kind of person and, and athletically he's, you know, upper echelon even for, uh, the NFL. So, um, Great pick, loved it, and his presser was one that I caught, and I agree. Like his ability to just admit, he's like, "Hey, there were some immaturity issues, and there were those. I had to like, you know, do some self reflection and 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 grow up a little bit." And I, I like to hear those things. Those are the mm-hmm. things that you you look at for a player, and you go, "Okay, they're going to keep themselves out of trouble for the most part, and they're going to uh, learn from their mistakes, and they're willing to be humble enough to admit that they have flaws." Um, and I was impressed. I think he's going to come in and, and make a make an impact in the rotation. Freddie Swain, pick uh, 214 overall in the sixth round, wide receiver <clears throat> out of Florida. Is it Florida State, Keith? I can't remember. One of those two. I was thinking uh, Florida International just on the top okay. of my head. But you know what? You could be right. I didn't I can't. I didn't write it down, and I can't remember. I uh, played in the slot and in college, and um, Pete talked to him about competing, uh, not only there but also at uh, punt and kick returns. He's got four four six speed, so uh, definitely want to take advantage of that. Two thousand nineteen, thirty eight catches, five hundred plus yards, seven touchdowns. Freddie Swain. I'm just not sure. You know, is he a development guy? Is he ready to come in and run routes in the, at the NFL level right now? Is he ready to be our star punt and kick returner this year? A lot of question marks. I, I've seen very few uh, little film on him. Um, so I've just been reading other people's words, essentially, about him. And uh, so I haven't made up my mind as to where he fits or if he's part of that group of five wide five receivers on the roster, Keith. Have you got any better insight than that? No, not really. I mean, he he's a guy that was kind of productive and had some athletic testing, but never really stood out. Um, he also played in an offense that didn't really have a great quarterback situation. Well, so Van Jefferson got most of the touches. Yeah. Um, and then it was Freddie Swain and a, and a couple other guys. And yeah, and they didn't have a great quarterback in their system. And so you're 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 looking at a guy and you're trying to make that projection of what it looks like at the next level. And I, would, I just honestly just, there, there is a big leap there because you're going from a terrible quarterback situation to a great one. And from, but you're also going from college to pro, which is a huge jump too. So um, what are they going to get out of him? I actually um, was thinking he, if he makes the roster, it's as the sixth wide receiver. Um, but then there's lots of other moving parts of how do you get a sixth wide receiver on the roster? So um, I could, well, it really depends on, like, to me, it depends on DJ Dallas and his ability to punt and kick return as well. If Freddie Swain is clearly the guy, there's, there's, they'd have to find a way to carry him on the roster. Yeah, except for that. I mean, have they come out and admitted that they're not going to let Lockett do it? Because even being the number one receiver last year, he was still doing, you know, the punt and kick duty. 
Um, uh, well, so. certainly I haven't heard anything with regards to that, but it would make sense that they would try to find somebody to do that. Agreed. But, uh, they do still have, they do still have Lockett back there. So there, there is that part of it. So the last guy on the list is, uh, Stefan Sullivan. This is the, the, one of the funner, um, if that's a word, uh, conferences that were uh, put on by the Seahawks and all the beat reporters. This guy was just like sunshine and lollipops when he was talking. He was so happy that uh, that he was drafted and um, landed with the team, ended up in a really good situation with Russell Wilson and all the other wide receivers in the uh, room. Um, this is definitely a guy that's a developmental kind of guy, but who knows, right? Mm-hmm. You get a guy like this in and all of a sudden he pops. He was just in the wrong system. They tried to play him at tight end. They switched him to wide receiver because their wide receivers were hurt. So he's kind of never really found a spot. Said he currently weighs 250 pounds, but Pete Carroll wants him to play wide receiver. So a 250 pound, six foot four wide receiver that runs. I don't even know what he runs, Keith, but you know, he's pretty, he's pretty quick. He was like a um, four, five, four at two fifty, yeah. And, and Pete Carroll was saying they wanted to get him down, um, to two forty Cause they think that it will improve his quickness and make him even faster. And for a guy who's six, four and two forty, uh, I mean, that is big for a wide mm-hmm. receiver. Um, and, yeah, they, he's very long. Yep. So they want they want him to slim down and and become a better receiver. Whereas um, Parkinson, they want him to bulk up and become a better blocker. Uh, yes, <laughs> which is that was really interesting to me. Yeah, um, a lot of people were thinking like at on the on draft day until their press conferences. A lot of people were thinking it was going to be the other way around that they were going to be like, okay, Parkinson's mm-hmm. not a blocker, so have him lose a little weight and just commit him to being the big slot um, and. You know, Sullivan's this super athletic guy, have him uh, put on a little weight and learn how to block. And, and this the team's doing the opposite, which I thought was was interesting. Uh, but I, I actually like it. And I think that this is a guy, yes, he's a developmental guy. And we don't really know what it's going to look like. But athletically, he looks good. And you're right. He was... He was so upbeat and so happy, and he just had the biggest smiles during the mm-hmm. whole time. It is, it was really hard not to like the guy. Um, totally. I well, mean, and then he talked about his struggles and the adversity and the homelessness, mm-hmm. and his parents were arrested and the drug use. And he said he, you know, he, he finally ended up living with his sister for a while, and they didn't have any food. And so out of that situation, he had to go live with a teammate's family, and he lived with them from you know for four years in high school. Um, and it's just kind of crazy, but he said that, um, you know, he played wide receiver all the way through until late in the process at LSU, they switched him to tight end. So he does have a lot of wide receiver background. Um, and the cool thing about it was that Pete Carroll came up to him at the senior bowl and said, um, they, that they were going to come and get him. And, and they sure did. Sure enough, they came, came back into the seventh round and picked him up. So yep, they went and got we, him. We, we got a good group of people, Keith, you know? Yep. Um, I was impressed overall with with everyone uh, as far as the character level of mm-hmm. the players that we brought in, both free agents and in the draft. I think you can see that that has been a uh, major emphasis from Pete Carroll and John Snyder since the Malik McDowell disaster. Um, that after that, they Pete Carroll said something about like um, that they were. 
I'm trying to think of the actual words, but basically like they were like uh, trying to move off of their, like what their, they set are, these are our standards and they're like, they were shifting away from it um, and making excuses. That's what it was. They were making excuses for guys and they were going to stop doing that. And, and then you look at all the people that they've, they've drafted since then. Um, and they, there's been no uh, guys with, you know, major uh, character issues. It's been guys that, uh, have like even in the you know uh, at linebacker we have you know we're, the guy we were just talking about um, he talks about you know being immature and having to grow up and and he just has those right things and it's like okay so yeah he there are these things in his past but that's not who he is now and I just see them going about this in a way of trying to find high character guys high work ethic guys guys that really just love football. Um, and rather than trying to get a guy like uh, Malik McDowell and then have that not work out, or um, God, who is the running back um, that they drafted in the second round? Um, I don't know. <clears throat> uh, Christian Michael. Yeah, there we go. Um, Christian Michael. Yeah. So um, you know, guys like that that have this tremendous athleticism and you go, wow, if we can get their head screwed on straight, they'll be great. And then they never get their head screwed on straight. Um, and so they've stopped doing that and, uh, limited their draft board to guys that they are more confident will not get in their own way. It doesn't mean that they moved completely away from wanting to be the bully though. No, Um, they haven't. Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor and Damian Lewis are all, and Alton Robinson. Those are all guys that they brought in to, be more physical um, and also increase the team speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that as well. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I don't know how this season's going to go. I don't have a good feel for it yet. I'm not, I'm not far enough into it. I know that it's not going to drop off terribly. I just don't know what the ceiling is yet. I haven't, haven't figured that out, but um, one of the things that we're going to try to do in next week's show to help us get there is we're going to do a little schedule breakdown. I think everybody's kind of done this at this point, and we've kind of waited a little bit to kind of allow some air to, to get underneath this schedule and give us time to kind of think about it a little bit. And then this last couple of days, they've come out with the preseason schedule um, locked in. Um, and our first game, in fact, the first game for the Las Vegas Raiders is against the Seattle Seahawks. So the, the first time the Las Vegas will take the field will be against the Seahawks. Um so that's that's interesting. It's also and that weird. It's a, that's it's, a home game. It's weird that the Raiders aren't the fourth preseason game, and I know part of it is that they're no longer as close because it was. It's just been this tradition that ever since the Seahawks moved from the AFC to the NFC, the Raiders have always been the fourth preseason game, and that was by design early on, and then mm-hmm. um, a huge request from both teams. Uh, to the league once the league took over scheduling of that. But what you had was it's like the closest team to Seattle. So they could, or, or so that the, whoever played could get on a plane and be home really quickly. It wasn't yeah. like a thing. Um, and they could, you know, get on with everything. And it just became this tradition. And now suddenly the tradition's gone. And it's a little. Yeah, Almost well, and they have us traveling quite a bit in the preseason. And we got to mm-hmm. go to Houston in that second game and then Minnesota to, to clean it up. Um, at Minnesota, um, which is halfway across the country. I mean, it's just as far as Houston. Um, 
And then our first game is at the Falcons. I mean, we'll talk about the schedule. It's just, you know, the Seahawks are the most traveled team this year. And um, it's no surprise. I mean, being up where we're at in the northwest um, corner of the, the country. Um, well, and we're and always in the top three or four teams. They're so. also playing uh, both Eastern divisions in the schedule rotation, which has a lot to do lovely. with Lovely. Yeah, lovely. So. All right. So I think we're out of here for, for today. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Really appreciate uh, the listens. And um, make sure you come back next week for that schedule review show. And then later on, uh, a few shows from now, we're going to do the 53-man roster prediction show. Um and we're going to break that down into, I think, a couple of shows, offense and defense. And then we're going to do a beer uh, sipping and question and answer show after that. So uh, sometime in June. Um, so until next time, follow Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NWSeahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of your shows archived. And find us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe. So. Till next time, Keith. Go, go Hawks. Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Phil is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week. And go Hawks.